the ruler of the kingdom. On this last Sunday of Ordinary Time, we celebrate Jesus Christ, King of the universe. That Jesus is not just King of this chapel, or of this earth, or of one particular faith, or of the solar system. But if Jesus is God, then by definition, he's that which nothing greater can be thought. He's greater, he is not a created being, but the creator and being itself. That's something that's not clear, per se, but we're given these images from Scripture, like the prophet Daniel, these visions. I saw one like a son of man coming. The son of man received dominion, glory, and kingship. All peoples, nations, and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingship shall not be destroyed. That this is a power that is definitive. That, that nothing can beat it. Nothing can crush it. That, that Jesus' power is sure. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth, Revelation says today. We shall see him coming amid the clouds. And that all people, even those who pierced him, even those who denied him, even those who betrayed him, that all will see Jesus for who he is. That Our Catholic belief is that at the end of time, that all people who are drawn to heaven, that they will see in Jesus the fulfillment of all that they've desired and known to be true. Now, for many people, they may not know the name of Jesus, or they, what they'll see, though, is they'll see the fulfillment of what they've longed for, in its fulfillment. And so Jesus is king. But the question is, will I allow him to be my king? Will, will I allow myself to be drawn into his kingship? To allow him to be ruler of my life? Because that's what's crazy. Like, God is so powerful that he's like, I don't have to force myself on anybody. That's what Pilate is all concerned about today. He's like, are you a king? Because if you're a king, you're a threat to me. Because you're going to impose your will on mine. And, and Jesus is like, actually, I am so, he didn't say this, but it's like basically, God is, he's so powerful that he can allow you to do whatever you want and he can make good come from it. I don't know, is there like maybe like an image, like a teacher who's like, well, they're, they're totally, the students are all messing around and whatever, and the teacher's like, it's okay, I'll make it work. Or like a chef that's like, I'll make good come from that. I'm like, that's impossible. You know, like, but God is like, I'm going to allow, he doesn't impose himself on our free will. But that actually becomes our invitation to surrender, to submit to his will. But why, why would I want to surrender to anybody? Because he might do something or want me to do something that I don't want to do. It's like, no, that's just it. That, that, that Jesus, when he talks, he reveals himself to Pilate. He's saying, um, for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth 
listens to my voice. What is truth? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. We can say that something is true if it corresponds to reality. Now, in my brokenness, in our, in, because of original sin, my mind is not always able to see what's accurate. Um, <laughs> like, this is a totally bad example, but like in my mind, I have a full head of hair. You know, like, and then I I see pictures of myself. You know, you see pictures of yourself, and you're like, is that what I look like? You know, or like, or like you see yourself on video, and you're like, I hate seeing myself on video. You know, like, but that's actually closer to reality than what I want to believe about myself. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to reflect back to us the reality of ourselves. So, and we could be like, oh. And he's like, no, no, no. Because what I see is your goodness. In our own image, sometimes we see all that we lack, or we see our sin or our shame, all the things that we're not doing. And God's like, no. I see goodness. I see my beloved son. I see my beloved daughter. And so to actually recognize the truth in Jesus Christ is to see ourselves for who we are, which is good. And so it actually brings freedom that, that God's love for me is not based on how well I preach tonight, you know, or um, on how well we do in these next couple weeks of, of the end of the semester. That God's love for me transcends that. He says, I love you, period. I already know how you're going to do. And I love you, and I want you to be able to receive my love. And so the more I can allow Jesus to speak truth into my life, the more he can rule my life rather than me, it actually liberates me. Because that's the battle we're against. The, the battle against sin is really just a battle against my weak will, my disordered passions, and my darkened intellect. Think about it this way. Um, I, I've heard some people, people talk about how, like, I want, like St. Paul says, I want to do the good, but why do I do the evil I hate? How many of us have said that? Like, I want, I want to just not give in to this thing anymore, but we do. What that is, is, is that this, this sin, this passion, these desires are ruling me. I no longer have passions. My passions have me. And Jesus invites us. He says, bring that to me so that I, by my power and grace, that I can put that in check so that you can live in freedom. I noticed that with my, uh, my four-year-old nephew at Thanksgiving um, was just like, I want this. And his parents are like, no, because that's not good for you. And then what comes next but the tantrum, right? And the rest of the family sits there and listens to it. You know, like, um, but, but the, the truth is that that's me. Like, I want things that aren't good for me. Um, I'm supposed to not eat gluten because I'm allergic to it, but I eat gluten all the time, you know, like... <laughs> 
And it's like, I, I want to be strong. I want to do what's good for me. And so freedom is going to come when I can die to my own desires, um, when I can die to pursuing pleasure. And when I bring that to the Lord and he puts that in check, what happens is in that I actually experience real joy. When temporal goods, things of this world, when they're put in their right place, we actually are given a greater freedom to enjoy them. Um, yeah. That's what, that's what God wants for us. Here's, here's another way to look at um, what's, what's ruling in my life right now. Maybe we don't have to think about it too hard, you know, but like what, what do we spend our time on? If we said, what are, the, what are the top three things that we spend our time on? What's ruling our life? It's like, well, Father, I'm in school. Clearly it's school. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But another question would be, what, what do I spend my money on? What are the top three things I spend money on? Then those become the things that rule me, right? I heard somebody ask this question. They said, okay, what are the top three things that take my emotional energy? Maybe that's like that past relationship. Or maybe that's that failure I had. But what's that emotional thing that this is draining my attention and time and energy? And that, that reveals what's really ruling my life. And what Jesus says is, bring that to me. Turn to me. Let me be the king and ruler of your life so that things can be put in order which is where peace and freedom come from. I was Even tonight at dinner, I was talking to Father Dan about, I don't know, just different things. And it's like a, sh it's a snapshot, but it's like, you know what's hard to see is people are experiencing a lot of brokenness and depression and lack of meaning because the things are not ordered in my life according to God's plan. And so because of that, I will never find true happiness and peace in those things. And it's like insanity, banging my head against the wall, trying to find meaning and peace here. And only by, by turning to the Lord and submitting to his plan, his will, that then actually things become clear. They become simpler. They're laid out for us. And life actually just becomes a little easier. Because I understand what's actually good for me, because that's what he wants. And so I turn to him, and it's better. That's kind of the litmus test, by the way. Don't take my word for it. Test it. Put Christ in the center. Submit our desires, our will, our passions to him. And he's the one that can bring them into right order. That that's where peace is going to come from. So what do we do? We pay attention to anything that's stealing my peace, anything that's causing anxiety, I bring that to him. Because he's the prince of peace. And that only comes when he's in the center, when he is the king ruling in my life. I don't have to do that, but I'm invited to do that. Because ultimately, at the end of time, the Lord, he's going to draw all things and people to himself showing how he's the center of all time and existence. But, 
But what's great is you and I, we don't have to wait till the end of time. We don't have to wait till we die. That, that today, I can, by his grace, kind of put him more in the center and already begin to experience that freedom and peace that happens when he's in the center, not me. Because when I'm in the center and my desires are dictating everything, I don't know, God in his goodness says, I'm going to give you what you want, even if it's what's bad for you. But I want to give you what's good for you, which is me. Finish with the story. In the 1920s, there was this man who was discovered in uh, Ireland, and they took him to the morgue. He had died. They took him to the morgue, and there were, like, chains on his, like, legs and stuff. And they're like, this is weird. Um, they ended up, eventually, someone came and identified him. They go, that's Matt Talbot. And it was his sister. And they go, what's the story here? Well, Matt Talbot, uh, about 60 years earlier, well, he, he grew up, and then when he was about 20 years, 25, when he was about 25 years old, um, he realized the power that alcohol had over him. He went to a bar one night, and he was, so, he was such an alcoholic, he was so enslaved to alcohol that he couldn't even afford a drink that night. So he stood there by the door as these people that he had drunk with every night came in, and he was asking any of them, one of them, to buy him a drink. And one after another, they just passed by him like they didn't even know who he was. And he sat there, and he's like, I thought I was your friend, but apparently all you wanted was someone to drink with. But God's grace was active in that moment, and he, he had a moment of clarity. He went home, and he was, he was 25, living with his mother, and, he, uh, and so she said, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm going to go take the pledge, which in Ireland, taking the pledge is to say I'm never going to drink again. And she said, you better be careful because you're making a promise to God, and you're going to be held accountable to that. And he says, I'm tired of this. This was the slavery he had found himself in. For him, it was alcohol. For, him, for us, it can be anything, right? And so um, that, he went and he took the pledge, and his life changed. Now, he, he still had these cravings uh, for alcohol, but he knew, he knew what was down that alley. I know what happens when I listen to that voice. It leads to shame. It leads to despair and hating myself. And he said, anything is better than that. So what he did was, he's like, well, I have to do something because I'm not going to be drinking. Uh, and so he would go to the church. But sometimes he would get there so early, the church wasn't open. And people would catch him kneeling outside the church, waiting for the church to open. What happened as God's grace began to unfold, he would start going to Mass every day. That instead of thinking about, instead of being consumed with himself... He became liberated to be able to think about others. And so he started caring better for the people around him. And he recognized what this person really needs is not whatever. They need God. So he started bringing people to church. Um, so his friends would say he'd invite us to go pray with him or go to Mass. But then they'd leave because he'd still be kneeling there praying. And they're like, we got to go, bro. You know? so, so they would leave, but he'd be praying. But ultimately where the chains came in was uh, he... He had felt chained and enslaved to sin, 
But what he did was he instead gave those passions and those sins over to Christ. And he goes, I willingly enslave myself to Christ. I make him my king, that I am a servant of him, Jesus, the king. Um, And he said only in doing that did he actually find freedom. Isn't that ironic? That only by entrusting himself completely, making himself a servant of Christ, he actually found true freedom. And today we call Matt Talbot servant of God. His cause for canonization is open. A drunk who knew that his only freedom could be found by allowing Jesus Christ to be ruler and king in his life.